Hello everyone and welcome to the Uninformed Handball Hour. It's time for Egypt 2021 and the World Handball Championship. More teams than ever with 32. And with so much to go through, we're going to have two separate preview podcasts for the championship. Today's one is going to be focusing on the hipster teams and the underdogs. And that is going to include an interview with Drew Donlan and JD Orr from uh, the US team as the USA are making their long-awaited return to the world championship. Uh, But before that, uh, we'll talk a bit about the championship in general because there's a lot to talk about and it hasn't even begun yet. And so I welcome Alex to the pod. Alex, how are you doing? Hey, Chris. I'm I'm excited to watch a ridiculous amount of handball over the next couple of weeks. And I really do mean ridiculous amount of handball. I want to watch Uruguay Cape Verde. I am going to tune into Bahrain versus the Democratic Republic of Congo. And I will be excited by what's going on there. It's kind of crazy that we have this big tournament and the way it has been built up over a long while, it was supposed to be, you know, the crown jewel on Mustafa's reign as IHF president, where he brings this championship to Egypt for the second time, actually. It's the biggest championship of all time. You know, they built stadiums, they built a 17,000 seater stadium. And one of the stadiums is actually named after Dr. Hassan Mustafa as well. But unfortunately, um, a lot of them are going to be pretty empty. And I know they've put in a 20% limit on the amount of fans to be available um, for those games. But I think for some of the games, 20% is pretty ambitious. (laughs) But of course, I I think it's actually good that there's going to be fans at this tournament because even a small amount of fans... so. As I mentioned, 20% will be allowed. So in the 17,000-seater stadium, the Cairo International, there will be 3,400 fans. At the others, which are 7, 5, and 5, there will be around 1,000 to 1,500 fans allowed into the stadium. That amount of fans makes a difference in the atmosphere of a handball game. We've seen that over the last couple of months, and I still think... um, I still remember back to that Kiel Veshram game, which I still think is the best game of the tournament, the very first one that they played this season. And I think it was the best one because there was some fans at it. You could feel some atmosphere. Mm. So it is good that that is happening. And as an overall, Egypt has actually done pretty well with COVID. Their cases and deaths are at, at, at a pretty low level. They are starting to have a bit of a second wave, but it's it's nowhere near the scale that we're seeing in Europe. So it is it is a good place to be. And hopefully uh, everything yeah, works out safely and is coordinated well. Well, probably some people would argue, are they, reco- are they reporting all the numbers in Egypt? <laughs> but, uh, I'm sure. Uh, but uh, overall, I think the... And I want to get your opinion on this because, you know, we, we've got some high profile players uh in scandinavia and in central europe france and germany who have 
voiced their concerns about the safety of having fans in the arena, which I find a bit, I don't know if hypocritical is the right word, because in these countries there have been fans in the arena in club games uh, over the last few months. And I don't know if there's just this misguided conception that because it's in Egypt that it's not going to be safe, uh, which I think is a bit of an unfair way to view things. You know, you've got to put some trust in the organizers, particularly in Egypt, where, as you said, such a close connection to Hassan Mustafa. Say what you like about him, but I'm pretty sure that they're going to make sure that nothing goes wrong at this championship, because, as you said, it is pretty much his championship. And um, they have also worked a lot with the EHF and, and the, uh, the bubble system that they implemented at the Women's Euro last month, which worked really well. And yeah, so I imagine... You're not going to have the fans like crawling all over the players. I'm sure there'll be some distance in there. And 20% capacity in a 17,000 seat arena is nothing at the end of the day. But it will make a big difference in terms of the atmosphere. So some of the criticism and the, the worries that are being shared are a bit misguided there and maybe a bit unfair based on where the championship is going to be in. Yeah, I think I think it's a weird worry to have because even us as reporters don't get within a meter of Mikkel Hansen at a championship. You know, the players are fairly isolated in a normal um, championship. And with this bubble system that we saw work very effectively in the women's EHF Euro, I think the players will be quite safe. The question is whether the the fans attending, uh, there might be something coming out of that in terms of an outbreak that that can, you know, it's a risk to take. But again, looking at the the way that Egypt is right now, it has roughly a thousand cases a day, and we'll assume that they're counting it at a good level. But a thousand cases a day for a country of a hundred million is nothing pretty good going you know it's 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 absolutely nothing it's it's what denmark was do you know the levels that europe had during the summer where you know sport opened up there are fans in arenas there was there was life you know the life that we've missed for the last while but i think a lot of players are coming from a different mindset because right now for michael hansen in denmark or in, uh, in france where he is the lockdown is so extreme and the situation is so extreme that it seems absolutely alien to have fans in arenas. But where Egypt is at the moment, it wouldn't be seen as a huge risk. Again, this will be probably the first major sports championship since the start of the pandemic with fans. Out of, you know, talking about proper world level competitions. So this is, you know, they are breaking new ground and it's an ambitious project. And I do think it's it's a bit, yeah, I, I don't know, especially a lot of the German players decided to not go listing COVID as a reason. It, it's valid. If if you really feel that you, you don't want to take the risk, that, that's okay. But I don't think the players should really be worried. I mean, that's another aspect of this uh, championship. And I think it'll be a focus very much in our second podcast when we're looking at the big teams, the, the real contenders, it's just how many players are missing from each of these teams and there's a great list that Rasmus Boysen has put together and you can see that on his Facebook page uh, where he's literally got an overview of all the players who are missing usually it's an injury list but this time it's an injury slash COVID absence uh, whether they have COVID or because of COVID deciding not to go quite an extensive list for some teams in particular so this weird 
dichotomy. You have some teams that seem to be squeaky clean. They've got a full squad. And other teams where it's a, a ragtag bunch of players coming together. I just one one last thing on that. And I think the, the risk that the players are feeling is because the players themselves are traveling from all over the world. And um, we've seen a lot of cases in squads already. So th- that, I think, is the m- major risk. But one thing is that, you know, most of these teams have some sort of la- long training camp with a testing procedure before the tournament so kind of teams have been together for two weeks before the tournament and these kind of cases or um yeah these cases will come out and be stopped at this point and then there's a really stringent process when they get into the competition where again any risk is reduced so when players really enter the bubble i think um there'll be a lot of safety yeah, I, I think and I hope that this will go off very successfully and the procedures put in place will be effective. And speaking of training camps, one team that is in a training camp right now is the USA national team who have got together in Denmark in a 10-day camp before the, they face their first IHF World Championship in a long time. Uh, it's not 20 years in 20 years 20 years the last time yeah at, uh, at, they haven't won a game at a level world championships either so uh, they're looking to make history this uh, usa team and their inclusion in the tournament was not without some controversy as they were basically handed a place at the championship for north america and the caribbean region but they're building basically a squad and a program for the la olympics in 2028 and uh, to get a bit of insight on that and what the team is uh, shaping up like, we spoke to Drew Donlan, who is a line player who plays with Adamar Leon in Spain, and JD Orr, a fellow podcaster, the host of the Shooting Straight handball podcast in the USA, and he's also the team manager of the squad. So here we go. Okay, then welcome to JD Orr, team manager of USA, and Drew Donlan, who is, I guess you could say, a star player for the team and one of the, the few born and raised Americans. Thank you so much for both of you to join us for a little chat. I know it's a very busy schedule you've got before you fly off to Egypt. Uh, how's the training camp in Denmark going so far? So far, so good. It's been pretty busy, but uh, we're at a kind of a sport hotel complex here it's been great so we've kind of got our own little mini bubble going on trying to be safe uh first and foremost but yeah the training's been good uh we just had our first friendly today so it's good good to finally kind of play against somebody else and you know things are starting to come together so we're excited it's definitely been uh an interesting trip thus far a lot of a lot of hoops to jump through but we're we're getting everything all the boxes checked and uh, making sure we're ready to rock and roll for next week and it must be quite exciting to get the the team together this this new team that has been assembled with some old faces but also some new faces how has that dynamic been so far so far it's been pretty smooth i was kind of curious coming into it how it would be because like you said we do have a lot of new guys but um i would say the kind of the core group of our team is still the same so it's been great seeing each other because you know because of covid we haven't seen each other in over a year now so it's been it's been a lot of fun on and off the court being back with the guys. Yeah, from the staff standpoint, it's been the same crew for the last uh, probably three or four trips. So that's been a good sign. And 
we've able to get a nice relationship and understanding what's needed when so there's less headaches. Drew, you've been a part of U.S. national team since 2012, I believe, with the the junior national team. And through the years, you've had Pan American Championships, you've played Emerging Nations and also a couple of uh, beach handball world events as well. But how different is the the vibe at the moment building up to a, a senior indoor championship compared to those other events? Yeah, it's definitely a little bit different. I think our preparation for this one has been a lot more focused and um, a lot more organized and, um, you know, at a higher level because we know the stakes are a lot higher for this one. So, um, yeah, definitely thankful for the staff and everybody that's been, been helping out a lot, you know, as, as you guys probably know with your experience too and in Ireland and stuff is like sometimes the players got to do some things themselves, but, uh, no, this time it's been, it's been pretty nice. We've been able to focus mostly just on handball, which is, which is a huge, um, uh, uh, grateful for that. So. But yeah, definitely a lot more focused preparation and uh, we know that the stage is going to be pretty big. So we're getting ready for that. So obviously you have this camp, which is how long is it? Almost two weeks before? Uh, about a week and a half. Yeah. A week and a half before the championship. Uh, and then you get to play, uh, I think, seven games o- over a short time period. It must be quite tough to come in maybe a little bit cold. I know, Drew, you, you've been very active with Ademar Leon, but there must be some players that haven't played as much handball as well. Uh, how are you handling that kind of preparation into the tournament so that you're not overloaded? I mean, Robert knows what he's doing. We've got full trust in him. And, you know, he's he's played in enough of these where and coached in enough where he knows the level that we need to be at, or at least in terms of preparation. So for me personally, the last Two months of the season have been great because we've been playing almost three games a week with all the makeup games with COVID and traveling in Europe. So, um, and I think a couple of guys like Ian and Patrick who've been playing the second Bundesliga, they've had a lot of makeup games too. So they've been playing a lot of games. Um, but yeah, as you said that we've got a couple of guys who are playing the third league in Germany who haven't been playing the last few weeks. And I think it's different for every player, but. And in terms of our training, has been a lot more tactical, just getting reps uh, playing together because a lot of us haven't played together for a while. So it's definitely been a balance, but I think our gas was pretty good today in our in our first friendly. But we'll see as I think we've got a pretty, pretty intense schedule the next couple of days too to ramp up. And then uh, hopefully we'll be right at the, the peak at the right time. JD, do you know if that's like from the the coaches or the the staff standpoint that that is something you're looking at in particular? Because you know you've got players like Drew who are training pretty much every day, playing twice a week, and then you've got a couple of guys who maybe don't have a club at all, or like in Benjamin Brief's case, playing in the US, and you guys have been in lockdown since March, and there's been no no league games at all. So I guess that that is also something that has to be taken into consideration. Absolutely. And that definitely came out in our game that we just concluded with earlier today. Um, you know, you look at just, you know, utilization and number of minutes on the court to make sure that people aren't getting burned out, uh, especially somebody in Benji's situation who's been unable to really play competitive handball in over a year almost. Um, and there's a couple other guys that it's been, I think some of the Swedish guys have been out for, you know, over a month and, some, like you said, other German guys, uh, same kind of thing. So it's evident and we're trying and we, we recognize that and we know uh, who needs to, you know, be utilized in what way. So we're seeing that throughout practice, but we're also want to make sure nobody gets injured going into this tournament. We have, you know, some tweaks here and, but uh, 
so far, everybody's been fairly healthy and just trying to get a feel for uh, who's going to be utilized where. And we've been playing around with some different packages. And uh, like Drew said, just getting everybody familiarized with, uh, you know, how we want to get get our team together for, for Worlds. I think one thing, too, is the 20-man the roster adds a different um, flavor to it a little bit and kind of gives us an opportunity to, to move some guys around. I don't know what the coaches' plans are for that necessarily, but I think that's something that I'm sure teams that are really deep, too, you know, like Norway and France, are going to take full advantage of that. But it'll be interesting to see how that plays out in the tournament. Yeah, that, that's one thing we were kind of talking about uh, just before this, that um, usually the smaller nations that go into uh, world championship tournaments um, have, let's say, a good eight players and then kind of filler for the rest. And uh, as the tournament progresses, a lot of the teams just break down. Um, Angola were a very good example of that in the 2019 world championship where they came out, they they even got a victory. They looked really good. And by game four, you could see that some of the players were barely able to run. Do, do you think the squad that you have, you'll be able to utilize it um, to its max extent? Or will you end up leaning towards a few uh, kind of star players? I don't know. I look at it, our, our current, who we have at this camp, and I think that there's a pretty good uh, distribution of talent. Um, I'm not, maybe I'm a little biased, but. Uh, I think we have definitely some depth at the pivot position for for one. Uh, that's definitely a, a strong point for us and center back for sure. So uh, I would say lean in a little bit on those, but even at left back, left wing, right wing, we, we're okay. And uh, I think right back might be the one area that I think is some, some questions still, but I, I'm not, it's not overly concerning, I would say. And we have, the ability that we have other backcourt players who can fill in in that position. So I think I, I'm not too worried. And I think everybody's in decent enough physical condition to keep up with pace of uh, a normal game and that number of games in that short time frame. So we'll continue to get everybody into shape here the next couple of days, but uh, you can only do so much in uh, a short few days. <laughs> Yeah, and, and no matter what, it, it probably won't be as tough as the seven games in nine days that the Emerging Nations <laughs> brings. <laughs> oh, God, yeah. Uh, just before you, you spoke to us, you had that uh, interview there, uh, Drew, with Norwegian TV, and I think it's fair to say there's a hell of a lot of attention on the team like there hasn't been uh, probably ever because uh, the way everyone's consuming this championship very much online and also the the build-up to uh, USA getting into this world championship LA 2028 there's uh, a lot of I guess at home and abroad attention a lot of uh, I guess well-wishers uh, but also on the other side you have a bit of disdain I think in, in some areas and people kind of waiting for you to to fall flat on your face what, what do you make of that attention so far because i guess uh as much as you try to focus on what's happening in training camp right now it's difficult to ignore it right yeah you're right i think there's probably a lot on both sides you know i try to tune it out as best as i can but i think actually the first of all is like how we got here is you know we all wanted to play the qualifier tournament and we felt pretty confident going into it if that we would have a decent shot at qualifying you know through a tournament but the fact that it was you know given as a wild card kind of made some people salty about it and understandably you know but a lot of that stuff we can't control so we're just trying to do what we can and then you know we're going to be in a tough group and we know that wins are going to be 
next to impossible, but we want to prove that we belong there. And so whether that's winning or losing, but just proving that, you know, we can compete and it's not just a fluke that we're here. And then it's not just a political move that we're here and trying to tune the, 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 the naysayers out the best we can. But the only way we can really do that is by playing. So we're just trying to focus on what, what we can do. And on my front, I'm very focused on growing the sport back in the States as one of the few people on the trip based stateside. So um, it's something that all this extra attention, I mean, we've had these Danish guys on the club. They've had interviews probably every hour through the last couple of days. It's been very, very busy. And uh, our friends from part of my take uh, gave Tyree a nice little shout out. So uh, a couple of dogs launching missiles. So, um, so I'm just trying to keep riding that wave. We should be hearing back uh, from ESPN later today. Uh, which will be huge. Um, so that's that's something that win, lose, draw, fail, whatever you want to call it, we we're making a, a splash back home, and that's the important part for us, at least in my opinion. You know, I know the rest of the handball world is very upset and interested, at least to follow the story. Um, but I think at the end of the day, I'm trying to grow the sport back home, and that's it's not easy. And then the rest of the world doesn't understand the the battles that we have to face when. People think that I'm taking a month off of work to go to a dodgeball tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it must be it must be a quite a difficult task in the way that the tournament is set up as well. Where uh, I think for the U.S., really the Presidents Cup is where you can really show that you belong in the competition uh, and really make some waves compared to the really tough group like you know anyone outside the top 10 teams in the world put into that group would really struggle uh, so in terms of that message it's it must be quite hard to balance that probable difficult start versus what we're looking for in the future or what you're looking for in the future how do you expect to handle that you know we're really fortunate to have robert hitting as our coach and he he really gets it and we've, we've talked about that a lot as players about how you know, he's kind of I mean, biased aside, whatever, but he's kind of the perfect guy for this job because he's got, you know, all the experience in the world, you know, two time silver medalist in the Olympics, world championship medals, whatever. But he, he breaks it down and he doesn't give us more than we can handle. And he, he keeps a level head with all of it and keeps the goals reachable and, and realistic. And, you know, so he, I've, I've, I've got confidence that he's going to, you know, keep us in the right spot throughout the tournament, even if it starts a little bit tough. Um, that he'll have us ready for, for the President's Cup and, or whatever happens, you know. Um, and I think we can all kind of rally around that and, and, and follow him with a lot of confidence. Maybe make me the believer in the 16 seed up versus a one seed upset as the lone, lone man on that initiative here, but anything can happen. Um, so I'm always, uh, on the hopeful side that, you know, you know, everybody talks about us just going to President's Cup. We're only going to go to President's Cup. And I'm like sitting here with one win. Anything could happen. Somebody could get sick. There could be a rough day. You know, they trip and fall down the stairs. Who knows? That things, things, things could happen. So um, I'm just, you know, we'll see. We'll see it on the court. Um, but uh, yeah, as far as our, our success early on, Drew brought up a great point with with Robert. He's and the benefit of him is that we have so many different folks from our team 
So he speaks a whole variety of languages. So if he can't get it across in English, he can talk to them in their native language. And uh, it's like the human Google Translate. Yeah. 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 Very nice. Well, I, I do have a, a note here for JD's hot takes at the end of the chat. <laughs> so if we, so, get your get yourself ready to explain how and why you're going to beat Austria in the first game. But in the meantime, just for for people who who are listening who might not know a bit about uh, or might not know your story at all, Drew, and how you ended up with Adamar Leon, maybe you can tell us a bit about the the program that you're involved in and uh, your super interesting background as a, a military man. Sure, yeah. So I didn't start playing handball until I was about 19. I was a first year at the Air Force Academy, had some some dreams of walking onto the football team there. They've got a good Division One football program there and ended up getting cut, but wanted to keep playing a sport. And at, at the academy, sports are a big deal. Everybody has to play one, whether intramural all the way up to varsity. So they have a lot of club sports. And so I was going down the list of the club sports and saw handball. Didn't know what it was, thought it was maybe that game I played in gym class in, in elementary school. So I like looked it up on YouTube and sure enough, that was the same one. And thought, well, maybe, you know, background in football, basketball and baseball, this could be fun, you know. So I went down and tried it and, and fell in love with it right away and had a, had a coach there and Mike Cavanaugh who's had a, held a number of different roles within the Federation for a long time and was a player and a coach. And so he kind of took me under his, his wing, helped me out a lot. And then, um, Graduated, had had my first opportunity the year after in 2016 with the national team. We went down to uh, the Pan Am Championships in Argentina, and you know we weren't very prepared for that one, but we it was my kind of my first taste of it on the senior team. And then two years later, I was able to apply for this world class athlete program that the Air Force has for uh, national team athletes. And so in that program, they allow you to train for up to two to three years for the Olympics and world championships to, to represent on the, on like the highest level of your sport. And so, uh, I was fortunate to get to do that. So the first year I went in 2018 to Bayer Dormagen where Ian and Patrick are, and I was training with the first team, playing a lot with the second team, got a lot of good experience there. And, um, and then we went to Lima, the Pan American games of the summer of 2019 and, uh, Manolo Cadenas, who's my coach in Ademar was coaching Argentina and was interested in a few of the American players and then found out I was a free player. And so uh, he uh, extended me an invite. I thought it was a joke at first because, you know, I, I knew what kind of club Ademar was. And so then literally like five days later, I was there. So it, it all happened really fast. But I've been super, super grateful for his influence in my career. You know, it wouldn't have happened without him and Robert. They were friends, so they knew each other and they made it happen. So, um, yeah, it's been awesome. And, you know, I've learned a ton from him. So it's kind of cool. All these doors kind of opened up a little bit unexpectedly, but um, yeah, it's just been a fun, fun ride. Anything can happen. <laughs> <laughs> like with your time in Adamar and playing in the Spanish league, playing European league, you're going to face a lot of guys who you're facing on a fairly regular basis. I had a quick look of the, the squads. And I think there's about 50 players at this world championship who are playing in Spain, whether at the highest level or the second tier. So, I mean, you have a, a very good overview of the, I guess, the general level. Uh, what do you think the biggest difference is between players playing at that level and what you see in the U.S. squad, maybe not right now, but over the last few years? I think it's the the speed of the game is the biggest one. You know, you, we've got athletes on the team. We've had athletes on the national team for a long time, but it's it's the technicality and the speed that's the biggest difference, you know. Um, and you, can, I like to compare it to like a, an American who grew up playing football or basketball. You know, we, it's kind of 
by the time you're 15 or whatever, it's kind of second nature if you've been playing since you were five. And, you know, I started playing handball when I was 19. So, like, the difference is huge. Um, but, you know, I think where we can have an advantage, maybe even in this tournament, is just our athleticism and, you know, our grit to kind of fight for 60 minutes and see what happens. You know, handball is a cool game. I think we see it all the time in the, especially in like the Champions League Final Four. We saw it this year too, where like anything can really happen in a handball game. You never know. Um, and so we just want to be as prepared as possible as we can, you know, and yeah, kind of let, let the, let the talking happen on the court of how we play and not, you know, try to say too much beforehand. One thing I will comment on the, uh, you know, grit factor is that even in today's game, there was a situation in which there was a, a loose ball and Ty Reed, our right wing, he made a diving play to save it. And then you dove after to, you know, basically recover the pass from him. And the coach from the other team was yelling at his player and saying, and I had my Danish friend with me and he translated and he said, that's the difference. That's why you didn't get that ball because of that intensity and desire to, to get it. And that's one of the things that I don't know. I mean, we got a different mentality going into this tournament kind of as the underdog and uh, a little bit more hard nose and scrappy. So we'll see, we'll see what happens. Anything can happen. I'll say it once. I'll say it five more. Times. <laughs> so, so, what will happen? It's. I think it's time for those hot takes, JD. Do not watch me pushing anyone down the stairs. So, um, maybe they get stuck in the elevator. They miss. You know, the elevator collapses and they're they're trapped there. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's one of those things that maybe Austria is listening. They're waiting for my uh, analysis on how we could defeat them. So I'm not going to give too many. Uh, words, but uh, one thing that I've been working on with. Uh, a guy uh, back home, he does stats for ESPN. So he and I have been putting together some models on some different ideas on how to better control the game. And, you know, I think, Chris, you you saw some con- U.S. conversations with him on Twitter. Um, and he's obviously new to handball. And uh, that's we're just trying to continue the conversation with new people. Um, but he brings up a good point. Uh, it's something that you do in other sports in the U.S. I don't don't know that people try to do it in handball as much as just control the clock, you know, and limit the number of opportunities the other team has to score. I got into a debate with uh, some of our teammates while the game was going on today about the positives and negatives of the 76 matchup. And uh, I still, I'll, I'll die on this hill that it doesn't make any sense to me, but I'll be the ignorant American on that. Um, so uh, that's that's something that is definitely an interesting factor. And we've been playing around a couple different defenses, and we watched their game against Germany last night and saw some some holes that we might be able to capitalize on. But uh, I think uh, the next couple uh, training games, scrimmages we have here in Denmark, we'll, we'll see what kind of our successes are. And I'm, I'm excited to see how we uh, – stack up i just think that uh it should be a very good game so well vegas is not saying that or i guess not vegas but whatever the european equivalent of gambling is <laughs> i mean to be to be fair uh, from what i've seen they they've made austria 9.5 goal favorites which i think at least from a month ago was would be quite generous um, and we've got Drew here. Drew has played uh, against Fivers from Vienna a couple of times in the last month, and they've got four or three or four players in that squad who are part of the Austrian team 
some rising stars and then big Toby Wagner on the line as well. So you know have a good idea about about how they play and also they're they were they were kind of the scrappy underdogs in the games against you guys. Yeah, I'm just I think, you know, when you look at our group, you got Norway, France, and then Austria, you automatically think like, oh, you know, Austria could be like a really easy game to win or, you know, our best chance to win. You get a little bit overconfident, but like you said, these guys are solid and uh, even though they, they're down a couple guys with injuries, uh, but, you know, Lucas Hudicek, who's their left back, was the left back for Fivers, really, really solid player. Mm. And obviously, Tobias Wagner, uh, solid guy. So we know our work's cut out for us. And so, yeah, I'm not going to say we're going to go in and, you know, I'm just saying anything. I'll, I'll let JD <laughs> say that. I'll let JD say that. I'm just saying anything. Give his hot takes, we're, but we're not coasting in. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's going to be a tough game. So we, we, we definitely recognize that. And, I'm not going to make any hot takes today. But I'll, yeah. <laughs> Look, I'm never allowed to make hot takes. That's why, uh, you know, people complain about my podcast that I never get a chance to call anything out. And then they're like, well, that's because JD's on the board. He's not allowed to say anything. And I'm like, well, if we had a third person that was just a silhouette and they could make all the hot takes. So we're working on that. that that's my role, the hot take merchant. Uh, so USA to win it all. Let's do it. 4,500 to one. Now, uh, I think uh, regardless, it's going to be a great story. I think uh, the interest in the team is uh, well-deserved. And, and from myself and Alex's point of view, you know, we've played against 10 or 12 of you uh, a couple of times over the last year, year and a half. So we're really interested to see how how you get on. And uh, yeah, exciting times. Good luck, guys, for the rest of the camp with the trip to Cairo. And uh, maybe we'll talk to you after a big shock victory over Austria on day one. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, good stuff, guys. Take care, boys. Thanks a lot. Good luck with everything. Cheers. Thank you, Drew Donlin and JD Orr, for giving us an insight into the U.S prep for the world championships i thought it was very interesting it looks like they have a lot of support and one thing that they talked about is the coaching support as well and i saw a team photo i think they had eight to ten coaches with them so i'm sure they'll be very ready to approach the world championship another thing that they really mentioned was the grit that they seem to have this team that really wants to win and me and Chris have quite quite a lot of experience with that because we, we've actually played the USA team twice in the last 18 months where we got first-hand experience of that grit because in the 2019 Emerging Nations Championship, we played them in the opening game as the Irish national team. And we were actually ahead for a long part of that game. And they show grit to come back in the last minutes and come out with a 37-34 win in the end. But that is a much-changed team, I think, uh, that we'll see in the oh, World yeah. Championship. Yeah, I mean, they've, they, we played against, I think, 10 players uh, from that squad. The squad that's going to Egypt, we played against. There are two more players who I've played against in the past as well, Gary Hines and Adam Elzogby, who are, were not part of that team at the Emerging Nations in Georgia. So... But yeah, I think the eight players they've added to the squad are very high quality, dual nationality players in particular. And I think that will make a big difference for them, particularly as as we spoke about that squad depth and the the necessity to use the players to the 
best of their ability. So yeah, I think a lot of people are going to have their eyes focused on the US team and seeing how they do. As we mentioned at the top of the show, 32 teams. So there's a lot of new teams at this championship. It's going to be the focus of this podcast as we look at uh, some of the more hipster picks because there's nothing we love more in the uninformed handball hour than talking about hipster teams and hipster players. So that's going to be uh, the focus here. Uh, do you want to go with your first one, Alex? Yeah, I've actually focused on the bigger hipster teams um the teams that can actually make a splash in this tournament the the teams that might have a quarterfinal or a semi-final place in, in the back of their head and i thought i would start with the team that i think will make a big impact in this tournament and that's the hosts egypt um that they have been a a strong team for for a long while and they're really pushing forward, winning the under-19s World Championship just last year and a bronze medal in the under-21s World Championship. So they have a young core coming through. They have an old core that is really, you know, has some outstanding players. The, there's the favorite sidestepper, Ahmed Al-Ahmar, who we've seen do some damage across even the European leagues and across many world championships. They have some emerging stars like Omar Yahia, who is uh, becoming an important player for Veshbrem, as well as old faithful uh, Mohamed Sanad and Mohamed Mamdou, who've played a lot in France, but um, yeah, Sanad still plays for Nîmes and Mamdou is in Romania. But basically, I think this Egypt team is at the right place to make a splash at the tournament. Obviously, that is what they're, they've been aiming for with this tournament, where they have the players that I mentioned, um, kind of the old stars that are still, you know, they're in their early to mid-30s, still ready to play. And they have a, a, some young players coming through, adding strength to it. And they, they have some advantages as a home team, like picking the group that they want to play in. And... <laughs> What they did as part of the draw was basically draw every group and Egypt were then allowed to be the number one seed in whatever group that they wish to be in. And the group that they chose was Group G with Sweden, a Sweden team that's quite decimated. Czech Republic, who have had 11 COVID cases detected in the last couple of weeks and Chile, a Chile team that's actually quite good. So I think they're pretty safe in that first round group. In the main round group, they they also have, let's say, they don't have one of the big, big teams to play against. You know, they have Slovenia, Belarus, Russia or Korea to play against on the other side, which they should be confident in um, at least fighting for wins against. And I think a potential semi-final spot is open for Egypt. That's a big, yeah, it's a big call. I mean, they have to get to the quarterfinals first <laughs> and then the semi-finals. But um, they definitely have a good route and definitely the home advantage is strong in this team and in this championship, <laughs> let's just say, uh, because, yeah, it could be a showdown with Sweden, Russia and Slovenia to get into that, uh, into the quarterfinals and Based on looking at the squads at the moment, you'd have to say probably Slovenia and Egypt would be the favorites to come out of that section of the draw 
into the quarterfinals. But yeah, I really like the look of the team. Players that have become more and more recognizable over the years. You have to remember, they finished eighth at the last World Championship as well. So they had a good run. And it was David Davies who was the coach then. Who's the coach now? It's uh, Perondo. Um, Aha. Yeah. The coach who's come in to replace uh, David Davies. Okay. And uh, he's done a very good job. So he was in charge when they won the African Nations Cup just last year winning um the final 28-23 against Tunisia and really you know setting this team up for a good world championship. We've got a good goalkeeper in there as well with Karim Hendawi. Uh, I really like Mohamed Sanad out in the wing, Yahya Omar who we've spoken about a lot on this podcast as well. So overall a lot of uh, interesting names in there and I think we'll be talking a lot more about this team as the championship goes on. A player to watch out uh, for this team that uh, you may not have heard of yet is Yehya El Dara, who is the playmaker for this team. And he actually got MVP of that African Nations Championship that Egypt won. Uh, he plays for Zamalek in Egypt, but I think he might step into a, quite a leading role in this championship as well. Who else have you got there among your hipster teams for this championship? You know, a team that I couldn't leave out. A team that is settled in my heart for a long, long time. And that is Brazil. Ah, a team yes. that, that made me cream my jocks <laughs> many a time. <laughs> this is what we need Brian here for. Unfortunately, he's not here for this podcast. But he will be talking about how I'm already creaming my jocks for Brazil at this world championship. <laughs> <laughs> I believe splurge was the word used at the time. Uh, <laughs> a lot of splurging. <laughs> Tell me about Brazil. I'm actually not as high on Brazil in this championship because I actually thought that the last one in 2019 was the perfect moment for them. Their team is kind of gradually getting older and they haven't seen a lot of stars emerge. The, their kind of top players are still they're kind of the same players that were there and they they have probably moved on to bigger and better things obviously Tiagos Petros is considered by many as uh, kind of the best defensive player in the world playing for Barcelona Rogerio Moraes of course a Champions League winner who was absent from that 2019 championship now uh, Haniel Langaro has you know that 2019 world championship was actually the reason why he got his barcelona move he he was the real breakout star of that tournament for brazil and i think he'll have a very key role uh, for them this year also cesar almeida their goalkeeper has moved to france and you know has been very consistent so i think they can really do anything we saw them in that last 2019 championship, beat Serbia, Russia, Croatia, Iceland, Korea, and they still have the same team. They're in a pretty tough group, um, even that first group with Spain, Tunisia, and Poland. They'll be battling for points straight away to take on to that main round. I, do, I don't know whether this will be their moment. I, I actually see Egypt as um, being in a better position to make that run to a semi-final spot i think brazil will still do well they'll be in the main round they might get it to a quarterfinal spot but I, I don't see them really really going for it in that 
It's an interesting group, isn't it? It's uh, probably one of the most fascinating ones where every single game could be won by either side. Uh, Poland, I think, for me, are the outsiders in this one. But in Brazil's case in particular, you know, Spain, Tunisia, Poland, on any given day, they could win or lose all of those games. Uh, so it could be an amazing start to the championship where they take full points into the main round, or we could be saying goodbye to them right at the beginning. But, you know, looking at the squad they have and the, the players you mentioned, there's a lot of, you know, grizzled European journeymen who know how it's done. You know, they've had international experience. They've traveled around Europe playing for decent teams, some of them playing for top teams, but a lot of them playing for good, solid European teams. So they... They know their trade, these guys, and they they know their strengths. So, yeah, maybe it's not going to be their best championship, but I wouldn't be surprised at the same time if they throw themselves into a main round where they've got Germany and Hungary to contend with, where they they could be fighting for a quarterfinal spot. It really could go like from one extreme to the other. Uh, And that's what's exciting with the Brazilian team as well, I think, what we've seen them do in the past. Yeah, they definitely have one big scalp out of the you know maybe a couple of big scalps to take but what has happened to brazil many times is that they lose a couple of games that they should win or a game like against tunisia where brazil team that has beaten croatia should aim to beat tunisia and they lose that that gives them a weak position in the main round and despite their wins against bigger teams they end up in a very tough draw and just lose the the games they're supposed to lose against the norways and denmarks and get knocked out it's been very unlucky for them so i think they have an they have a big opportunity to get to their quarterfinal i i can see them beating hungary germany tunisia but i also see them losing all three games so. <laughs> <laughs> let's see what happens let's yeah. see what happens maybe you can give uh one of yours yeah. uh, and maybe stick to that group and the, the group a and b Yes, well, in, in Group A, I've got the brand newcomers, Cape Verde, or Cabo Verde, however you prefer to say. Cape Verde is, uh, is how they're down in the IHF website, so we'll stick with that. They only played their first major international tournament last year, and that was the African <laughs> Championship. Uh, they got into that because it was expanded from 12 to 16 teams. They finished fifth did pretty well and got themselves a ticket to the world championship and so this is a, a real real newcomer and you can see it when you look at the squad and there's not a lot of international experience in there but they're not new players as well there's guys who are mostly there in their late 20s and much like brazil have a lot of players playing in europe and playing in spain the majority of this cape verde squad is playing in portugal So they have that Portuguese connection. They have a Portuguese coach. And so they're playing handball at a good level in Europe. Got a couple of players who are standout. One in particular who uh, I'd say a lot of people may know is uh, Leandro Semedo, who is a former Porto player, now playing at Adamar Leon. So playing alongside Drew Donlan, our guest there earlier on. He's an interesting player. He's great one against one. He's a good jump shooter as well. He likes riding challenges and taking shots. He's a bit like a budget Andre Gomes. Uh, so you can see why he, <laughs> you can see why he didn't last at Porto because they had like a better version of him in the squad, but uh, a very decent player and looks like he, he'll be able to do a lot of damage in uh, this championship. What interests me most about this team is that they have got a really good chance of going to the main round. Because in this group A, 
you have Germany and Hungary who are the standout favorites to go through. But then alongside Cape Verde, you've got Uruguay as the fourth team. And uh, Uruguay, I think, are going to struggle a lot at this championship. Uh, it wasn't too long ago, back in 2015, in fact, where they were playing in the IHF Emerging Nations, same level as, as Ireland and, and Europe's lowest teams. Uh, they managed to finish third in the South American Championship last year, just ahead of Chile, but I think they're going to struggle here. And so a real good chance for Cape Verde to go through to the main round and actually have a, a series of big matches at this championship. So really exciting there. Players we may not know too much about, but they, they play an expansive and uh, very athletic style of handball, as you would expect uh, from guys who are playing in Portugal with an African background. It's just great to see a team like that uh, get a chance at this level and uh, a real good chance of going through to the main round. It's, it's funny to see this kind of brand new team, but actually compared to a lot of the African teams um, that come through at that level, they're they're quite experienced in club handball they have some top players and um yeah i I have them ahead of uruguay as well it'll be fun i don't know how much further they'll get past that but uh, it'll definitely be an adventure yeah i got one other team there i'm sticking with africa here uh because we can't go through hipster teams without talking about Angola. <laughs> and uh, we enjoyed them a lot at the 2019 World Championship. We alluded to them there in our chat with the two American guys. Uh, they managed to beat Qatar in the preliminary round of the championship. Uh, had a really good start. We're impressing people. But as you said, Alex, by the final game, they were really, they were struggling to walk, you know, <laughs> having so many games uh, in such a short time really did not suit this squad. And they did manage to beat uh, Japan in their final game, but that was in the 23rd, 24th place playoffs so the bottom two teams at the championship. Interestingly enough, though, they're in Group C alongside Croatia as the favorites, but then Qatar and Japan two teams that they beat two years ago so much like Cape Verde have given themselves an opportunity here a really tough group overall or a very even group behind Croatia three teams that'll look at it saying okay we could actually get through here in the top three but it's going to be tough for all of them they are mostly based in Angola which uh, I think is usually the case with them and also their women's team who usually do quite well at the world level and apparently they've been training together for the last two months, like meeting up once or twice a week. Most of the players play for just two clubs anyway. So it's almost like a club team here. There's two clubs, Primera de Agosto and GD Interclub. Uh, and they're the, uh, they're the two teams most of them play for. But then you've got someone like Rome Hebo in there who impressed us a lot two years ago at the World Championship. He's playing in Europe now. Uh, at the moment, he's playing for Dinamo Bucharesti. So a good, solid European League club. He scored 34 goals at that championship two years ago. If we're basing it on what they managed two years ago, all they need is a really good start. And if that really good start involves victories over Japan and or Qatar, they're through to the main round and they can die with lack of fitness later on. <laughs> I'll never forget uh, Rome Hevo in the latter stages of that tournament because... 
he scored 34 goals, but I think he took about 80 shots. You know, <laughs> he was forced into it. You know, there, there are so many times where Angola would pass around the ball, get nowhere, and they'd be like, okay, Rome, come in, <laughs> take your big shot, give it a go. And he, in I think the, the final game, he wasn't playing defense, but he wasn't even running off. <laughs> from attack he was lumbering off the pitch walking off sitting down on the bench and just really sighing when we had to stand back up and play an attack so i hope the angola's depth has um, expanded i don't actually see them uh, repeating what, what they did last year and a team that I looked into which i think will do really well in this championship is japan their opponents for that group japan they're a little bit of a mystery because actually all their players now play in Japan. Even the players that were playing abroad, they had two players, Yuto Agari and Remy Doi, who were playing in France, went back to Japan in this kind of big preparation for the Olympic Games, which were supposed to happen in 2020. So they got Dagger Sigurdsson as the coach, who has really taken this team and they've gone again with that kind of local-based approach. They have quite a competitive league in Japan, which is actually starting to get a bit of money into it, a bit of exposure. They have an online channel. Uh, I caught one or two games um, just to watch, actually, Jan Velasquez, the former Porto play- player, play in that league, primarily because he's, you know, over two meters and the Japanese league is probably an average of one meter 80. Uh, and it's, it's just kind of interesting to see <laughs> him being much bigger than everyone in Japan. But what this Japanese team do is actually make use of their size. They play an aggressive defense. They move the ball around like crazy fast in the attack and have been getting gradually and gradually better, culminating with a third place finish in the Asian Championships where they just missed out on a final spot by losing in extra time to Korea. They beat Bahrain and Saudi Arabia, two quite solid teams en route to that semi-final. So I think, you know, this is a team that has really been working quite well together for a long time. So they're all based in Japan. They've had a lot of training camps. They haven't had the preparation that they hope to have where having a European-based training camp beforehand. But they did have a friendly against Egypt just uh, a couple of days ago where they lost 34-29. But coming off a long-haul flight from Japan to Egypt and uh, coming up against a strong Egypt team, that's, that's a pretty good first friendly game. I see them doing really well in this competition. This is their last big push to the Olympics. And that's what this project, I guess, has been centered around for the last four or five years since Dagger Sigurdsson left uh, the German national team for Japan with the aim towards building something for the Tokyo Olympics. They've been given a bit of extra time to prepare for that, but it's supposed to be on this summer. And with them all being based in Japan, they will be almost like a club team, I imagine. And I'm really interested to see how they play. Remy Henri Doy, who you mentioned before, for those of you who don't know, is got a bizarre Instagram account 
Definitely check I, him I out. It's a TikTok account as well. I, yes. I think he got TikTok famous. Uh, if if anyone unlike us is actually on TikTok, <laughs> you can check him out on that. But we'll we'll do it through the medium of Instagram for yeah. He, but I'm pretty, he puts up he puts up the videos TikTok videos on uh, or at least puts them up as reels on Instagram. I'm guessing it's the same name for both. Remy Henri is the name because he is half. He was born in Paris. Uh, I think he's he's half Japanese, half French. Was playing in France for a few years, then moved over, and yeah, pretty pretty famous online now. So check him out for his bizarre videos. Yeah, some good players in there as well. Hiroki Matoki, the best name in handball. Need to <laughs> give him a shout out as well. The right winger, almost eighty caps for the team, and uh, Jin Watanabe as well in the right back position is pretty decent. So yeah, uh, I'm really interested to see how they do. Hopefully. Both of them will beat Qatar and make it into the main round. We cannot uh, both <laughs> both nice Angola and Japan. Situation. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think I think we're we're satisfied that the Qatar project is over now. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> it, you, you say it's over, but they still won the Asian Championship. Yeah, uh, with you know this, this team is now turning more into an actual Qatari team. So. I don't know how long we can hate that continue hating this team, but for now I'm 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 happy enough hating them for a little <laughs> while longer. <laughs> uh, on that note, I think we can wrap up this first preview podcast for the World Championship. We've gone through the lower ranked teams, the hipster teams, and in the next one, uh, very soon, just before the championship begins, we're gonna bring you the big dogs. But until then, from Alex and myself, it's goodbye. Mm-hmm.